The British people as a nation are not known for their positivity, I don't think. Uh, sure, there are exceptions, perhaps a few exceptions in the room this morning, but uh, on the whole, the English find the, um, the kind of sincere, earnest uh, optimism which is characteristic of, say, Americans, a bit, a bit annoying. Uh, I think their, out, their, um, their outlook kind of resembles their weather, a bit gloomy, a bit overcast, punctuated with bright spots of dry humor. But living in England for about a decade, I found that there were uh, some exceptions to that general rule. Uh, something that would for sometimes weeks or, or months at a time, transform the national character, imbuing the people with a kind of relentlessly upbeat attitude. What could bring about such a dramatic shift? Only a British sporting victory on the international stage. If you are English, no doubt you'll remember these. I saw uh, over and over again, the, the gold medal victories uh, for the cycling team in the Olympics many years back, the um, Andy Murray tennis victories at Wimbledon, the, uh, no doubt this summer, although I wasn't there to witness it, the, the Cricket World Cup uh, victory. The whole nation gets swept up in celebration of these sorts of things. The pubs Fill with uh, jovial conversation and song, the the media can't stop reporting on it. The uh, well, perhaps you'll remember last year as England was doing surprisingly well in the football World Cup. This song just kept coming on the radio. It's coming home. It's coming home. Football's coming home. Of course, it didn't, but it didn't stop the singing for months. Now, the glory of victory brings with it an infectious joy that can transform people, or even nations. And in our reading this week from Judges 4 and 5, we see something of that joy. We read it in prose, the kind of play-by-play -play account in chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, we hear the song of victory that recounts those same events in poetic terms. And with these two passes through the same story... God reveals something more of himself. That's what Judges is about. It's not just about the riveting tales. It's about God revealing something of himself. And so I want to highlight two simple things from these two chapters this morning. The first is this, that anyone who willingly serves the Lord will share in his glory. Anyone who willingly serves the Lord will share in his glory. As we enter another Judges cycle in, in chapter 4, verse 1, we see that once again the Israelites are right back where they started, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And once again it has resulted in the Lord disciplining them by bringing a foreign king to oppressively reign over them. This time uh, the king, um, like Cushan and Iglon before him in the previous chapters, is cruelly oppressing the Israelites, and we're told that his power comes from these 900 iron chariots. That's kind of the, the pinnacle of military power in that day. And apparently it allowed him and uh, 
this military to rule for 20 years over God's people. Until finally, the people cried out for the Lord's help. But unlike the previous stories in the book of Judges, uh, we're not immediately told who the Lord raises up as a savior for his people. The narrator simply points us to Deborah, the, the judge who was leading Israel at the time. And although we might assume she's going to be God's chosen deliverer, like the previous judges, we aren't told as much. And in fact, her first act in the story is to call up Barak and give him the job. Verse 6 says, She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, and take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them uh, in the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. And so the mystery that only lasted for a few verses is solved. It's, it's Barak, not Deborah, who's going to deliver Israel, but Barak. And doesn't it just make sense? He's the military uh, authority there. People look to him. He can rally 10,000 troops. It just makes sense that he'll be Israel's deliverer. God is going to grant him the victory. And so here we go, but then we read on. Barak said to her, if you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Now, wait a second. The, God was going to give the victory to Barak, but Barak didn't believe him or he didn't think his plan was good enough. He had a better plan, maybe. Whatever his reasons are, he doesn't go along with God's plan. He doesn't proceed as God had commanded him. And so Deborah says, okay, uh, yeah, we'll do it your way. But the honor for the victory won't be yours. The Lord will give the victory to a woman. And so we go back to thinking, Deborah. Deborah will be the savior. And the story progresses, and we, we come to the day of battle, and everyone's in place. Sisera with his chariots in the valley, Barak and Deborah and, and the Israelites in the mountains. And Deborah makes this pivotal declaration in verse 14. Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And so Barak and the, the military, they storm down the mountainside. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. Not a man left, but Sisera fled on foot. I, I put a map to, um, up on a, a PowerPoint slide for you to help you visualize what's going on. You see the ridges along the right side of the map. Those are the mountains, and those are where the Israelites reside. And, and down there in the valley, that's where the Canaanite forces are gathering. And you see the rivers along the valley there, just behind them. And notice the uh, elevation difference. 
And this is how the Lord delivered them. So what happened? Well, it seems, if we look ahead to chapter 5, verses 4 and 20, we, we read this. O Lord, when you went out to Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured water down. And verse 20, from the heavens the stars fought, and their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, the age-old river, the river Kishon. So piecing it together, it seems like God defeated Sisera and his 900 chariots by sending a downpour, a flood, uh, muck and mud, the, the wheels of the chariots getting stuck. And so chariots are no good if they can't uh, charge forth. And so the army gets out of the chariots and they don't have their equipment anymore and, and they flee and Israel strikes them down. And while his troops were being slaughtered, Sisera escapes, literally running for his life. You can take that slide down now. And he said, uh, and he came to an encampment, rather, of known allies. And they welcomed him into this tent by reassuring, uh, a reassuring female voice welcomes him in. Oh, come. You'll be okay here. Come inside here. And after having some warm milk and being tucked under a, a cozy blanket, he says to the woman in verse 20 with words dripping with irony, Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her, if, literally, a man comes by and asks you, is a man here? Say there is none. There's no man here. And as he drifts off to sleep, well, we read in the poetic retelling of chapter 5, most blessed of women be Yael, the, the wife of Heber, the Kenites. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, and her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. When the day of victory finally came, and God delivered his people from the hands of their oppressor, it wasn't with military might. It wasn't with a commander of 10,000. It, it wasn't even with the recognized leader of Israel, Deborah. It was by the hand of a foreign housewife who didn't even need to leave her tent. A woman who had um, no direct involvement in the conflict. Now, what are we to make of that? That's a bit surprising, isn't it? Well, I think, I think the author would have us see that God will achieve his aims whether we are involved or not. God will achieve his aims whether we are involved or not. You see, most of us, we like to think of ourselves as 
very important people. Without us, our companies would collapse, our, our church would disintegrate, or the lives of our friends and family would be deeply impoverished. And I think that's right. I think that's right in most cases. Uh, most of us will be important in several different spheres. But I think this story is meant to show us that however important we might be in however many different spheres, God does not need me. God does not need you to achieve his purposes. Uh, now don't hear me wrong. God loves you more than you could uh, ever imagine. He loves you. He wants you to be involved powerfully in this world, in, in spreading the gospel, in extending his kingdom, in blessing the nations. He wants you to be involved, but he doesn't need you. If we say no, if we say, I don't want to do that, so I don't want to be part of a church that wants to do that, I'd rather do things my own way, I'm too busy, well, he'll find somebody else. He'll use the person next to you. Or the, the person down the street or who, who seems to you to be unskilled, who, who seems to you to be unintelligent, to be too poorly resourced to do the job God wants them to do. And they will extend God's kingdom. They will bless the nations. And the only ones who are going to miss out, well, well, that'll be us. I mean, isn't that what we see recounted in Deborah's song? In, verses, uh, 14, in chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 18, we read all about the people who responded to God's call. Those who risked their very lives to serve the Lord, to pursue the victory that God had promised. But then in verses 15 to 17, we read about those who stayed behind. In the district of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the district of Reuben, there was much searching of heart, but no action. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained at the coast and stayed in the coves. How very sad for them. Do you hear? While they made excuses for why now isn't a convenient time for me. Uh, I've got flocks to look after and ships to attend to. My ship's coming in. Well, God simply bypassed them. On the day when God revealed his mighty power with an outstretched arm and all the people who were present were shouting with acclamation and victory. Well, they were staying late in the office. And Barak, who was supposed to play a leading role in that salvation, well, he wanted to do it his way and so he became a peripheral character in the story. But who gets to see the, the glory of the Lord live and in person? Who receives 
the praise, almost as though they themselves had won the victory when it was the Lord, it was the rain, it was the floods that he sent. But who receives the praise for it? In addition to the Lord, the people who willingly offered themselves. My heart is with Israel's princes, says Deborah, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. Those who served the Lord were given a share of his victory, a share of his glory. Yael, who was a nobody, became the star of the show. Why? Because she was willing. Most blessed of women, B.I.L., verse 24 says. The tribes who joined the fight are each named and given praise. Deborah says, may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And friends, it's the same for us. On the cross, the Lord Jesus did battle with our worst enemies. By his death, he destroyed the oppressive power of sin and death. By his resurrection, he declared complete victory. Now, there is no doubt that the victory is won. And he alone won it. And yet, we're told over and over in the New Testament that he wants to share his glory with us. In one of his final uh, speeches to his followers in John, he says, The glory, Father, that you have given me, I have given to them. In Romans 8, we're told, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share his sufferings, in order that we may also share his glory. And in 2 Corinthians 3, And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory into another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All who love the Lord, all who willingly serve Him, we will all have a share in His victory. We will all receive glory alongside Him. But those who stand far off, those who say, I've just purchased a field and I need to attend to it, or my father has just died, I need to bury him, or whatever the excuse might be, well, they'll miss out. While God's people celebrate and share his glory, uh, these two chapters share another side of the story. And um, their plight can be summed up like this. Anyone who wickedly opposes the Lord will perish in their shame. Notice that Deborah's song does not end with celebration, but with a somber warning. First, Sisera, the great and powerful commander who stood against God and his people, he meets his end at the hands of a woman. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. 
at her feet. He sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Whatever we might think about it, there was no more shameful way for a warrior to die than at the hands of a woman. And so, in that same moment that Yael is exalted as most blessed among women, Sisera, in his rebellion against God, is humbled by this shameful end. A few chapters later in Judges, somebody would rather commit suicide than allow a woman to kill them. But Sisera didn't get that option. As we read on, we find that just as God's allies share in his glory, so Sisera's allies share in his shame. Through the window, verse 28, peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariot delayed? And the wisest of her ladies answer her, Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing, uh, and dividing the spoils? A girl, or literally a womb, for two, uh, a womb for each, or two. Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera, colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this as plunder? She's, she's lost in her, her uh, thoughts of what his evil deeds will achieve for her. Waiting expectantly, she and her servant women telling themselves, it'll take some time to divide the spoils. It'll take some time to rape the Israelite women. Just be patient. Or we're all going to get lovely frocks when he comes back. But the dramatic irony is thick, for Sisera is the one who lies vulnerable in bed. Not the Israelite women. Despite the gruesome details and the cultural distance that we read this story from, I think the lesson for us is clear enough. It's something like this, that while God's enemies daydream about the benefits that they'll achieve in, in living their wicked lives, their defeat has already occurred. And isn't it reassuring? Don't you find it reassuring in a world where so much rebellion against God seems to go unpunished? Entirely unpunished. Where violent mobs can attack innocent bystanders. Where the poor and the vulnerable are trafficked and exploited for the, the profit and the pleasure of others. Where governments oppress God's people and tear down the church and throw them into prison with false accusations. Like Sisera's mother, they don't know the fate is already sealed. But we know. Their fate was sealed. Their destruction is assured. Their shame will be everlasting. And that's Deborah's prayer and her call at the end of her song. 
so may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But may those who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Are these final words of Deborah, a prayer and a call, a prayer that God would bring his justice and his judgment quickly. And he will bring it. And a call for God's people to cling to him in love, looking to the day when they will be glorified by him. Although he's achieved the victory in Christ, we will share in his glory as we willingly serve him. And at last, when every enemy is defeated, and they know it, then Christ's people will have rest. That's what happened for the Israelites. The land had peace for 40 years. We will have peace for some time more than that. Let's pray. Father, we are in awe of your generosity to us, that you would share the glory that you alone deserve with a people who simply uh, are willing to receive such an honor. Thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ you have defeated every enemy that stands against us. Uh, thank you that uh, the fate of those who oppose you is sealed unless they repent and turn to you for mercy. I pray that we would live with that confidence and, and live in the joy of the victory that you've achieved. And I pray that uh, we might warn those who stand against you. Come, find mercy before it's too late. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.